Hey, welcome to Friday Night Night School. Did an episode earlier, just thought we'd close out with another one. What got me thinking is Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, he was asked if he got the vaccine, and he said, doesn't that fall under HIPAA? And that sums it up. I hadn't quite put it to words. Like, I got the vaccine three months ago, and I hadn't quite put it to words, but I, you know, it has kind of been stirring in my head that even though I got it, I don't feel like volunteering that to people. Ever since I got the vaccine, I don't feel like just broadcasting it. I don't feel that it's public business. Yet we treat it like it is in this very invasive way, too. Because for me, like the vaccine, it was just like, okay, sure. I will admit before I got it, I was starting to get a little bit nervous about the fact that it seemed like a lot was going to depend on you getting it as far as what you can do. And I started to know people who were getting it. And so I started to get that feeling that you get when you're, the, you're doing a test in school and everybody else is finished before you. And you're like, God, I got, not only is this stressful, I've got to rush now. You know, it's like that sort of feeling. Like, oh no, people are finishing their tests. People are getting their vaccines. That might mean, oh, I'm going to have to think about this. So I was feeling that way. And so I went to the doctor for something completely different and they just asked if I wanted it. And so I said, sure. I didn't feel good or bad about it. I just kind of said, sure. And then the second shot just devastated me for a good 24 hours, just severe reaction. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say severe, but a lot of body pain. Like every place on my body that was already sore from working out, but just good sore. That sort of like, I know I worked out, but it's not debilitating. I can just kind of feel the burn a little bit going about my day, which is the best feeling. I love that feeling, just having a, a slight burn in your muscles all day. But like th- it took that feeling that was already in me and then just amplified it into pain to where I could barely move my body. I was so sore. And then like aching down to the bone and then shivering, just violent shivering to the point where like even with a blanket wrapped around a sweatshirt, you know, and the weather wasn't cold, I was still just violently shivering. To the, I couldn't do anything. I could, you know, I could barely hold anything. I could barely walk. I was shivering so badly. And then I passed out. And then I woke up, of course, with a severe fever. I mean, I keep using the word severe, and I feel like that sounds dramatic. But let's just say it was the worst one I've had in a long time. And then just went in and out of sleep. Slept very. Slept for a ridiculously long amount of time. I want to say eighteen hours. I think I slept for 18 hours afterward, and it was bad sleep. I didn't feel rested. I just felt completely disoriented. So, And somebody would say, oh, you shouldn't tell people that because they might not get the vaccine. And that's the weird thing about all this is that people become these little, it's the little politicians, the little pundits that I always talk about, where it's like citizens feel like it's now their duty to push something or guide other citizens. And I'm not saying that they have anything up their sleeve or there's anything nefarious going on when they do that but it's just it's kind of weird that some people kind of take it upon themselves to be the shepherd and so they start kind of being like come on I took it you should take it too and that just shows you what babies we are the fact that there are commercials with celebrities telling you to take the vaccine like you're such a baby that you need a famous person to tell you to take it And I don't think, and what's funny is that a lot of the people who are 
the most adamantly against vaccines hate Hollywood. Like they hate, <laughs> they hate anything coming from Hollywood these days. So the idea of like using Hollywood celebrities to try to encourage people who hate celebrities and hate vaccines, I mean, you know, obviously it probably impacted somebody. Somebody was like, oh, uh, See, I don't even know who did it. I just know celebrities are pushing it. They're having, like, ex-presidents. It's like, Obama said to take it. George Bush said to take it. It's like babies, man. But, you know, when I got it, I just, you know... Well, then I I saw people, too, because I saw people showing some concern. I saw even some liberals I know online expressing concern over what the side effects were, how people reacted to it. People were nervous. Like, I'm talking back in March, April, around then... And some of the most, I don't know, I'm trying to say this politely, some of the most diehard radical leftists I know seem to want to, like, dismiss the idea that anybody was having any kind of reaction to the shot or second shot. Like, they they seemed like, the, 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 the tone I got from them was, like, don't talk about anybody's averse reaction to it because then they might not want it. Whereas, like, I had an adverse reaction to it. It didn't kill me. After 24 hours, I felt okay. It was a bad 24 hours, though. And if you're not expecting that, it's pretty brutal. And some people didn't have it. I mean, I'm in good health overall. And I had that kind of reaction to it. But it seemed to be like, oh, if you had a bad reaction, you should be hush-hush about it. Because if you tell people, they're not going to want it. And Jimmy Kimmel did all this work with Fergie to get people to take it and you're undermining it because you told people you know that you had a bad reaction that sounds like a joke but it's really not that's kind of where some people's minds are at and so it's nobody's business that I got it like I've shared it on here I'm talking about it right now I'm saying in explicit terms I got the vaccine but I'm not telling anybody else to get it and I, and I think if a random person were to ask me and there wasn't a reason like I understand if I were going to an appointment you know, I understand that there's, there are situations where if they asked me, I would tell them yes, because they just want to be safe. I think that's different. But the idea of just asking people, it's like, oh, did you take a bubble bath today? And if they're like, what? But like, I think it's less invasive to ask you if you took a bubble bath today than, if you, than you asking me if I took the vaccine. How many times did you go to the bathroom? What did the doctor find the last time that you got an STD test? What are you doing about it? What are you doing about your herpes? Oh, do you have herpes? Oh, have you gotten treatment for your chlamydia? I mean, is that any different? Is that really any different? Like, uh, oh, have you gotten the vaccine from the coronavirus? Have you gotten the treatment for your chlamydia it just to me it seems close they, they seem close to me they feel close and you know you, you see it's funny though you see this is like I was talking about before it's like to me it's like the saddest side of modern American conservatism is when they like take something the left says and then appropriate it for some like you guys are hypocrites talking point. Like, even if they're right, like anytime somebody pulls out the you guys are hypocrites line, I just feel like they've lost 
It's just at that point, you might as well be a bird squawking. Nobody's actually going to hear what you say. And so you see where kind of these, you know, I guess I assume they're right wing types are like, you are the guys who say my body, my choice. Well, I'm telling you, my body, my choice. I'm not getting the vaccine. You know, it's, it, there's that sort of attitude and there's a point to be made there. There's a point to be made there that, you know, my body, my choice, if that's relevant to something like abortion, it certainly seems like it should be relevant to vaccines. I understand they're completely different. They're not a perfect comparison. But still, it's like, I just, I don't see where, I mean, if if you are going to treat someone's relationship with their own body a certain way and present it in a certain light, it just seems to me like you have to be universal about that. And I, the argument that is used, the, the really the only effective argument is that, oh, well, it's not just about you because you can spread it and it's highly contagious. Well, the same is true for chlamydia. Chlamydia. Hey, chlamydia, get over here. I don't know. I don't want to get sucked into that because I, I truly don't care. I got the vaccine. That's what's funny is like everything I've said, if I hadn't gotten the vaccine and somebody heard this, they would be like, oh, well, he's he's just making all those anti-vaccine talking points. Listen to him. He's just obviously taking the uh, he's he's uh, drank the Kool-Aid and he's just. Uh, but the reality is I, I got the vaccine, but I don't feel like it's my job to tell other people to. I don't see. That's the thing is, I don't think people are as stupid as these other people do. And I don't think they're stupid for thinking other people are stupid. I think people are too smart for their own good, to be honest. Too aware. And as I've explained many, many times, I use simply awareness as a gauge for intelligence, nothing else. Not nothing else, but still, like that's the, that's the core. How aware is somebody? Do they notice things? That's intelligence to me. And that's when we acknowledge intelligence in animals, that's what we're looking for too. How aware are they? Do they notice things and do they respond? Do they learn? I know that my dog is intelligent because if I tell him he has to wait five seconds to eat his chicken, the first time he has trouble with it. The second time still has a little bit of trouble with it. The third time, he automatically knows to wait five seconds. And I've seen him do that about many things. I've seen him learn words. And it doesn't take long. I would say about by the third time, Batty tends to learn. That's intelligence. Human beings can do that too. And so I gauge people by their intelligence. And I don't think somebody is stupid because they're skeptical about the vaccine. And I'm not going to go through all the talking points. I'm not interested in actually getting into why you should or shouldn't take the vaccine. But I know intelligent people who are reluctant to get it. And I, don't, I would never try to tell them to. And a friend of mine hasn't gotten it and he doesn't want to. He's not even a particularly political person. You know, obviously he sees things, he pays attention, he has views, but still, he's not a very politically engaged person. So his motivation is not political at all. But the grief he's gotten, you know, he lives in Portland, but just the grief that he has gotten from people in his life, all kinds of people, you know, family and friends and just different people. And it's like, 
I, I just it's it's hard to believe. And, you know, I've only gotten one person just kind of asking me out of the blue if I'd gotten it, which I felt was invasive. But some people are getting serious grief from everybody in their lives. And it's just not cool with me. I don't think that's the right approach. I don't think that you should... I don't think you're going to get what you want by trying to coerce people. And you have to actually listen to the arguments they're making if you're going to argue with them. Because where I come from... I don't necessarily have to listen to your argument because I'm not going to argue with you anyway. I don't care about your argument and I'm not going to try to make my argument to you. So I don't care either way. But if you're going to actually try to engage somebody in an argument, learn what their argument actually is. I mean, that's one of the issues with the abortion debate. Like my body, my choice is a catchy slogan, but it doesn't actually communicate. It doesn't, it's not actually part of the argument that is taking place. Where like evangelical Christians are saying, yeah, your body, your choice, but there's also another body or a potential body with a soul in it. That's what we're talking about. Like evangelicals are saying, yeah, your body, your choice when it comes to a wart, a what? Your body, your choice where it's like, oh, if the doctor asks you if you want to get your foot amputated or not, because it's, it's going to, you know, it's infected and, you know, it might kill you but they still have to ask you for your consent to cut your foot off. You might say, eh, sure. Evangelicals are saying, a baby isn't your foot. A baby isn't a wart. And so I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not making a stance here. I'm not playing a fence sitter either, but I don't want to engage. I don't want this episode to be an abortion debate. I'm just saying that in order for that argument to actually play out properly, you have to actually understand what the other person is saying. And, you know, it's, and I mean, people do, of course they do. I'm not saying that people who believe in legal abortions don't, I'm not saying every single person who supports legal abortions is completely misunderstanding the evangelicals because people do get into like what constitutes a life at what stage something becomes a baby, and I don't know. I I don't have any answer to any of that. I'm just using it as an example of something where people seem to be arguing over each other, and there are so many examples of that, too, of people simply arguing over each other. But you have to actually engage the point they're making, and you can only do that by listening to the point and understanding the point. And with the vaccines, it's the same exact thing. And this is coming on the heels of years of anti-vaccine. Like the anti-vaxxers have been the punchline of young liberals' jo- dinner party jokes for a long time, for years now. And so this is just kind of the culmination of that. But then you throw in a lot of people who aren't like that at all. Like thinking of my friend, and I, I know a couple people who haven't gotten the vaccine and they don't want to. But they're people who otherwise wouldn't be a part of anything you know they're not people who would be accused of being conspiracy theorists necessarily anything like that it's just a choice they've made up to this point or maybe a choice they haven't made because that's that's the issue with a lot of people is some people want to wait and see which it's funny how that gets erased from the conversation the sort of person who just wants to kind of wait and see how the whole vaccine thing plays out 
They want to just observe and see how this is all going to work out. And that person is considered just as crazy as the person who says they're not going to get it at all. Like expressing reluctance. Like basically if you say, oh, you know, I'm not sure I want to get it. Because that was actually my attitude. My attitude was, I'm not against getting it. It's not going to be the hill that I'm going to die on. So I know at some point I might very well end up getting it. Therefore, I shouldn't try to make a big deal about not getting it. But my attitude was, I'm just going to wait as long as possible. I'm going to wait as long as I possibly can to get it. And then an opportunity came up out of nowhere to just get it over with. And that's what I did. I bet a lot of people are like me. I bet a lot of people have my exact story. And I bet I bet way more of them do than you even realize because unless you got a podcast like me, unless you got a podcast, they're not talking about it. Like outside of very close friends, and if you're listening, that means you, uh, but outside of very close friends, I really haven't brought it up with anybody and I don't think it's their business, anybody's business. And the person who asked me too, the person who asked me if I'd gotten it, I'm not trying to hate on them. I'm not mad at them or anything, but it's a person too who... When I made some points about free speech earlier this year, they kind of, you know, in kind of a a roundabout way, accused me of getting into conspiracy theories, right-wing conspiracy theories. And it's like, you've known me for years. You've known that I'm an artist. You've known that I like to express myself, that my views might not always be your views. But it's like, I mean, if you listen to this show, I mean, I've talked at length about like my general attitude about conspiracy theories. And while I don't demonize conspiracy theories in the same way that, you know, the mainstream media does and just so many people, the people in power right now do, the way that they, they brand things conspiracy theories and use that to delegitimize everything. Um, you know, I'm opposed to that, but I'm also not interested in conspiracy theories, and I never really have been. I brushed up against it just to see if it was something that jogged my imagination, but it actually never did anything for my imagination. It's very imaginative, whether you believe it or not. You know, a lot of what falls into, and I would say the conspiracy theory industry is now what I'm talking about. Because there is a conspiracy theory industry where there are certain authors, there's certain ideas, there's certain subjects, communities that have formed this sort of conspiracy theory industry in the same way there's a true crime industry. Like, the true crime industry is not true crime itself. Like, serial killers, unless they write a book or do an interview for a documentary, they're not necessarily part of the the true crime industry. They're the subject of products in the true crime industry, but actually killing somebody is not part of the true crime industry. It's just true crime. It's just murder. And so it's the same with conspiracy theories, where there's a conspiracy theory industry, which is people who fetishize a certain way of talking about things, a certain way of viewing world events, a certain way of putting things together, some of which have some substance, some of which have none. It doesn't make a difference to me, and I, don't, I honestly don't judge people. It's, if that gets people's imaginations going, great. It just never did that much for my own imagination. It never sparked much. Um, But uh, with that, though, there is a conspiracy theory industry, but the conspiracy theory industry isn't necessarily the conspiracy theories themselves. Like the conspiracy theory industry are the guys who sell videos, who, you know, write books, these figureheads, you know, Alex Jones would be a good example of somebody who's right at the center. I mean, he might be the best example of the conspiracy theory industry. 
and you know that exists too but that's not necessarily an indictment of the theories themselves like just because this culture and this industry has developed around it but the thing is it's interesting the way some things get branded conspiracy theory and others don't because conspiracy theory has kind of taken on a sort of right-wing connotation they tend to be right-wing conspiracy theories and it wasn't always that way like the JFK conspiracy theories, alien theories, because aliens fit into that. The supernatural, obviously, is, was adjacent. These things used to be all way more mixed together, too. That's the thing also, is that they were way more mixed together. I mean, the industry hadn't really developed yet, but you see where JFK kind of helped get things started. You know, Roswell, UFO, all of that. Uh, but uh, with... By the time the you know the industry came about, though, it's like there's a certain sort of person who likes that, and that's not me. But I don't find those people that troublesome either. And I don't know. We live in this time though, where it's like that's taken on. What I was going to get at is is people kind of think of that through a right wing point of view now. But the left has plenty of its own conspiracy theories. Like, regardless of what you think about police, the idea that, like, police are deliberately going out there to kill certain types of people all the time. You know, the idea that that's what they are doing across the country, that that's their intention. You can talk about all the reasons why that might not happen, and, I, and I'd imagine that everybody, or I would hope that most people can agree that that is not an ideal situation in any way. That is not an ideal situation. I mean, there are cops who abuse their power. We There are corrupt police forces. It goes up to the highest levels at times. I'm not defending police. And again, you get sucked into that. Like you get sucked in by, by even making any point at all. You get sucked in. And people think like it's in the same way that like the comments I was making about vaccines earlier make it sound like I'm anti-vaccine. Meanwhile, I'm vaccinated. So I think that gives me some credibility when I'm talking about the the reasons why somebody might not get it. You know, I mean, let's say somebody like is working a job and they are supporting a family and they really can't afford to potentially be knocked out for 24 hours, 48 hours. And that's a possibility with that second shot. So it's just even something like that, regardless of like the long term repercussions of, of having something like that in your body. It's just like even just the immediate, the, the possibility of being out of commission for a day or two or three. That's something somebody has to consider. Can they afford to do that? Do they want to do that? Do you really want to get sick for a day? Because that's what it was like. It was like being very sick. It's like having the flu. It was just, it was bad. But anyway, like I was saying about the police, I wasn't going to forget that. I wasn't trying to sidestep that one. But like with the police, where it's just you see a lot of conspiracy theories about the police, unsubstantiated conspiracy theories, which you don't need. You don't have to make unsubstantiated conspiracy theories up because there's plenty of shit to say about the police. There's plenty of nasty shit the police have done. There's been plenty of corruption. But people take it a step further and they start making unsubstantiated claims conspiracy theories and to contest those conspiracy theories is to become that person's enemy 
And I've seen this a lot with groups of people I know who all believe the same thing. Someone will come up with something that's really just an outrageous theory where there's no actual proof of it. And, you know, they're welcome to say that, too. I'm not saying they shouldn't be allowed to say that, but there's no actual proof of it. And you can see where, like, the entire group supports that idea because to disagree at all is to now make yourself an outsider to them. And so that's an issue you run across with everybody. You know, to, you, know you, you can't challenge something. You can't try to tighten the argument. And that's one of the problems, too, is that that makes it impossible to tighten up your argument. When nobody's willing to disagree with some talking point, and even if it is valid, and that's the thing, too, it's not just ideas that might be crazy that you need to challenge. If somebody has a really good idea, you should challenge that, too. It's not just when somebody in your group, and I, I'm, I'm fortunately not part of a group like this, but if you're part of a group where everybody has basically the same views and it's very difficult to express any nuance because you're just kind of this solid block, you should be challenging the good ideas as well as the bad ideas. Like if somebody says something and it really is just some harebrained conspiracy theory, but nobody wants to disagree because their heart is in the right place or whatever it is that goes through someone's mind, you should challenge that because it's flimsy. If you think in the back of your mind, eh, it's kind of flimsy, you should challenge that because you don't want a flimsy, a flimsy argument. You want a strong argument, but the same is true for a good point, too. If somebody makes a really strong point and you can substantiate it, there's some sort of evidence for it, you want to challenge that, too, because you know what's really cool about a good point? When someone has a good point, you can actually turn it into a great point. You can turn it into a great point. It's true, though. You can. If you challenge, because sometimes you'll get a good idea or somebody will say something that's a good idea and your instinct is to be like, oh, that's a good idea. That makes me think. But if you give some pushback on that good idea, you can refine that into a freaking diamond. It's true. And so it's not like, you know, if you're with a group of people, like you should be debating amongst yourselves all the time. And I've had the the privilege, I guess you could say, of just like meeting some different researchers through mafia research and talking to some different authors. And, you know, actually, as I mentioned before, like talking to some actual mafia guys at one point, former mafia guys. And while I didn't argue with them, although there were some things that we kind of went back and forth on, like one of them was talking about, because he's very into Italian history, he was talking about like something that happened under, you know, Garibaldi, you know, retaking Palermo or something. And he said something and like my friend who's, who's a researcher kind of gave him a little pushback. He was like, Oh, I thought it actually happened this way. So it's like, you can, you can do that in that conversation and it's good natured and it's designed to make everybody more knowledgeable. And, but, but that said in the, in like when I've talked to some of these other you know, researchers, authors, people, it's like, there's an element of debate to it. Cause you're talking about a subject that, it's a secret society. It's a criminal secret society. It's by its very nature mysterious. There's different ways that you can interpret information. There's different angles that you can look at different events. And the smallest piece of information can completely change the context of what you're looking at. And so naturally, there's going to be a little bit of debate, but it's healthy to do that. And everybody ends up a little better off for it. Everybody's arguments are a little bit stronger. 
And I've had that happen to me before where I'm in an argument with somebody and they make a really good point. And you have this sinking feeling where you're like, I think they just got me. I think that they just got me because they just made a really good point that I can't argue against. And then just when you're kind of accepting defeat, you see the cracks in that argument or you see where, you know, you see where you can actually you can actually take your argument to the next level. Like they've actually given you that, that extra push to take your argument to the next level. And actually you had a realization in that moment, which I feel like is the best thing in an argument. Like you think about like debate club, which I was never a part of. I never, I don't even know if my school had one, but I've never engaged in like debate. Let's have a debate. Like friendly arguments, friendly debates that just come up naturally, but I've never just been part of any kind of like formal debate. But the idea of like rehearsing your arguments, yeah, that's well and good. It's good to know your material. It's good to know what you're going to say in an argument. Like even just an argument with somebody in your life, like if you're planning to like meet up with somebody and you have to talk something out, you know, it's good to know what you're going to say and to kind of anticipate what they're going to say. But then it's amazing when an idea comes to you on the spot that kind of takes your argument to the next level. And that's the only way I can put it. And I've had that happen to me before, too, where like somebody else, I thought that I, I like I said something to somebody and I was like, oh, I just sealed it. The argument's over. I don't see how they could possibly respond to what I said. And then suddenly they come back at me with something where I'm like, wow, their brain just went to another level. And they beat me. I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know. I make it sound like I'm just going to these like sit downs and arguing with people back and forth all the time. But you know, you get in arguments in your life, friendly arguments, little arguments. They happen, and uh, it's always nice though when everybody leaves an argument better off, a little bit stronger. And I think that can happen in, in any argument, honestly, if people set the right intention. You know, everybody talks about setting the right intention. Well, I think the best time and place you can do that is when something negative is going on. Like people think about setting your attention, your intention. Turns out it's also your attention. But uh, people talk about setting your intention like this thing where it's like, I have to set my intention to be positive. I got to follow my bliss today. You know, people kind of take that approach. But the moment to really set your your intention, I don't know whether it's attention or intention. But the moment to do it is when things are getting kind of negative, like when you're when you find yourself getting sucked into an argument. Because then you say, I'm going to have to go through this, I'm not going to avoid this argument, like I'm going to have to address this head on. But my intention is to leave this on friendly terms, amicable terms, and to have us both have stronger arguments, to have a better understanding of each other's argument. And ideally, just to be, this is just, it's like leveling up in an RPG or a video game. It's like, this is a moment to level up. You're actually earning experience points. This is how we talk to kids today. This is how you talk to kids. You say, when you're in an argument, just think, what you're really doing is you're accumulating experience points. You are, though. You are accumulating experience points when you have an argument, if you're aware of what you're doing and saying, if you don't lose your cool. The problem is, is that so many people lose their cool or they take things personally. And when you lose your cool or take things personally in an argument, you start losing experience points. 
You start losing experience points when you lose your cool in an argument. Kicking the adapter. We call that kicking the adapter. <sighs> yeah, but uh, it's, it's something to keep in mind. Like if you set your intention in an argument of actually gaining something from it. And knowing, too, that sometimes there's a relief in being wrong. Sometimes being wrong just means you learn something. The fact that I learned something means that I was wrong before I learned that. And that's cool, too. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's people getting into vaccine arguments, and fortunately I haven't been in one. I haven't been in a vaccine-related argument, but I've heard about people who have had them, and I feel for them, because nobody deserves to be dealing with that right now. It's just one more thing you're being told to do. And I don't know, I mean, I, I went for a walk through downtown, it's like the first week. We had a patch of like 70 to 75 degree days, just a very kind of cool or mid-July. It got up to 80 degrees again today, which is good, I'm glad. You know, if it's summer, it's ideal. I like it to be about 80 degrees. And I can deal with a few 90s, but I like it to be about 80 degrees. It's kind of an ideal. The, the nights are very nice. Like, I will say, I will put Washington, Western Washington nights, West, Western Washington summer nights, I would put up against any part of the world. Where the air is still warm, but it's getting kind of dark, and you're near the water because there's so much water everywhere here. So much, so many woods. You start to the, the woods just start to become silhouetted. You can almost make them out, but they just become silhouetted. The sky is pink and blue and orange, and uh, just you're loving this scenic description. But it's I really would put Washington State summers up against any other summer, any other part of the country. And uh, I was on a walk though, and you know I've been talking about how things like people seem to be popping out. And there's this like there was this vibe the last couple of weekends where it's like people were just all they were out there. They seemed like there was a strong desire to connect because, you know, you figure the start of this month, there was the Fourth of July. We had had these three hundred and ten degree days. We had like two days. It was like one hundred and ten, one hundred and eleven degrees. Another day that was like in the hundreds. So we had these excruciatingly hot days. We had the Fourth of July. You know, we had some smoke in the air both from the fireworks and the forest fires, the forest fireworks. Now we had that, and then it was like around the middle of this month, though, you could tell that like there were no holidays, there was no other distractions, the weather was pleasant. I was talking about all the girls. The show became the creep hour where I mentioned scantily clad women out and about. Uh, you know, so that was the vibe the last couple weekends. And I went downtown tonight, and it kind of felt like the other shoe had dropped. Where, like, I knew that that couldn't necessarily sustain. And of course, like, this is as subjective as you can get. Oh, like, I can tell what the vibe is by walking around randomly. By going on a walk, like, at night, I can, I can completely get the vibe that everybody has right now. I think there is something to that, though, because I do pick up on it. Like, I'll take a two-hour walk and just kind of stroll around, go through town, 
kind of go through neighborhoods. And tonight for a Friday night, there was the first 80 degree day in a while, which you'd think like a Friday night, 80 degree day, perfect night. You'd think downtown would just be roaring. You'd think people would be all over the place at the marina. It was relatively dead and there was this sort of tension in the air. Like there were some cars driving insanely fast on like 25 mile an hour roads. Just people were hot rodding. There was just something kind of hostile in the air. I got called a bitch. A a street guy. He was wearing a hoodie and a backpack and really baggy pants. He said something to me and it ended in bitch. He yelled it from about 15 feet away. And I wasn't in the mood for it. I didn't take it personally, but I wasn't in the mood to get called a bitch tonight. Maybe tomorrow I'll be in the mood to get called a bitch walking down the street. Uh, but, you know, it's just the sun was out in the air and I was just like, eh, you know, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. The sort of carefree, just openness of the last couple of weekends really isn't in the air tonight. And so the second that uh, the uh, sun started going down, I was just like, yeah, it's time to get home. And as I as I was thinking that, too, it's like a cop car drove by with his lights on. Just every little thing. It felt chaotic. It felt like there were a lot of just different, like, like a lot of different boats had been tied to the harbor. And it was almost like somebody just like cut the ropes that were keeping all those boats tied to the dock. And they're all just kind of floating. And you're just hoping they don't run into each other. You're hoping they don't run into the land. That was the kind of vibe, just being around people. Like, people in cars didn't seem to know which way they were going. People who were walking were sort of just aimless. That was how tonight felt. Tomorrow might feel different. I'm actually hoping it does. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. It's going to be in the mid-80s, in case you you needed a Western Washington weather report. But it's going to be in the mid-80s, and I'm looking forward to it. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children 